Ladies and gentlemen, sports fans alike, welcome to another edition of Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. One of the couple, two, three best podcasts around. So sit back, grab yourself a cold one and a pole of sausage, park your keister in the front room, and listen to Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. In Chicago, you know that all sports rock. The Bears, Hawks, Bulls, Cubs, and Sox. Pick your favorite, you can choose as long as the Packers lose. For everything you need to know, it's Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Bill. Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. This is your hosts, Alex and Sean. On this episode, we are going to be talking about the Cubs waving the white flag. We're going to be talking about the White Sox continuing the first half in the second half. We're going to be talking a little Bears news, a little Blackhawks news. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsor, the Rockford Ice Hogs. If you're not familiar with the Rockford Ice Hogs, they're the AHL minor league affiliate of the Chicago Blackhawks. What does that mean for you? You get to see the stars of tomorrow today at family-friendly affordable prices. Sure, the season's not going on right now, but that shouldn't stop you from heading on over to icehogs.com. Get yourself a hat, shirt, jersey, sign up for season tickets, and more. Tell them Swirsky Sports sent you. Alex, how did you enjoy the uh, lovely July weather here in Chicago? I enjoyed it very much. I took advantage this afternoon uh, by taking a nice bike ride down the prairie path and just kind of relaxed when I was outside, outside of walking and biking. I tried to sit outside a little bit, um, try to soak it all in because it looks like it might get a little warmer again and not quite as warm as it once was. So enjoy it while it lasts, because I think today was like ideal, like perfectly ideal. It was sunny. It wasn't too hot. It wasn't too humid. You got to enjoy those days while you get them, because as you know, when August comes around, we could feel some pretty brutally hot days during that month. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So around here, this type of weather starts bringing around skunk season. Yes. And my neighborhood has all kinds of skunks. So I usually walk my dog. um, So I have a pit bull and, People are usually pretty scared of her, even though she's super friendly. Um, so I usually walk her late at night, like 10, 11 o'clock, midnight. Um, and then we don't see a lot of other people, but we will see skunks all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. I would say every other walk will see a skunk, not just smell it, see it. And um, a couple of nights ago, my wife, the dog always wakes my wife up, doesn't wake me up. And she wakes my wife up to go outside. Oh, it's like two in the morning or something. And uh, so my wife's like, I'm going to go let her out. So she goes downstairs. A few minutes later, I hear the dog whining. I'm like, what is going on? And I'm like, something happened to my wife. That the dog's trying to like, you know, get my attention. So I go running down there, see the dog whining at the door. The door's closed. Where's my wife? Open the door. She's standing outside and she's like, I just saw a skunk in our yard. And, you know, last summer, uh, our dog got sprayed by a skunk in our yard, which sucked. It was like the worst. And so we're like, all right, let's take the dog for a quick walk outside on a leash. And, um, but we are looking with our, you know, cell phone lights 
trying to see the skunk and we can, we're seeing, and um, you know, we don't necessarily see the skunk that night, but we're looking all around and um, uh, we're like, ah, oh, this, this is crazy. So she takes the dog for a walk. And then um, the next day I tell the neighbor, cause it went under their fence. And I was like, Hey, so, you know, I saw a skunk go under your fence last night in the middle of the night. And he's like, yeah, here it is dead in our yard. And there's a dead skunk in their yard. It had run into something and felt something fell over and killed them. And I was like, oh man. So I'm like, okay, you know, this, the, our yards basically just reek because there's dead skunk. Yeah. That doesn't sound pleasant. No. So that next night, my wife's taking the dog for a walk and she, uh, she calls me on my phone and she's like, I'm on the sidewalk. I just saw another skunk go in between our, the, the gangway between our houses. So um, I come running out and I see the skunk. It's just playing around in their yard in the neighbor's yard. So I'm, two of us have our cell phone lights and we're shining it on it. And we watch him walk into like into the yard next to the garage. They have like a garden and then just disappears into the, you know, the, the shrubbery or whatever in the garden. And we don't see him anymore. And we're trying to spot him. And I, I was trying to see him in the light. So I'm looking over. And next thing I hear is like a lot of rustling in the tree. What is that noise? So I take a couple steps over and there's a giant, I mean, the biggest raccoon I've ever seen in my life just comes down from the tree, looks at us, doesn't even care that we're there. And then um, starts walking over and right by where the skunk is, climbs the fence and then goes over by our garbage cans. And I'm like, oh, what the hell? <laughs> so now we can, there must be a, a skunk den in our neighbor's yard because uh, it just sort of disappeared. So they must have a den somewhere in their garden. And our neighborhood just nonstop smells like skunk. Yeah, our neighborhood, the whole town really, um, it's like a skunk breeding ground. I see families of skunks walking around at night. I see two or three on a block at a time. I see a lot of raccoons going in and out of the sewers, but I see more skunks. And last week, it was either last week or two weeks ago, but I was riding my bike kind of late at night. I was on the prairie path and every like block section I would pass. So like, you know, it's like there's a divider street. You go down the block on the prairie path and like each block had at least a skunk, sometimes two or three. And you know, this is prime time for them, man. And, you know, you're going to see more and more as we go along, as we see every year, you're going to see the roadkill skunks too, along the sides of the streets, whether it's the local streets or some of the bigger ones, we're going to see more and more of those over the next month or so. Yeah. It's like, you know, and I feel bad. So I have a friend who lives uh, just down the street in Harwood Heights and uh, he's a, he's an exterminator. And he's like, you know, that's, I post on Facebook about it. He's like, that's why I don't um, do. He's like, I stick to rodents and, and bugs. And he's like, because by my license, he's like, if I catch skunks, he's like, I have to, you know, they have to be euthanized. And he's like, you know, he's like, a lot of times I catch babies and he's like, I just don't want to kill baby skunks. Yeah, and, which is understandable. Yeah, and they're, I mean, they're really cute. They just smell really bad. Yeah, you don't want them around. Yeah, if, if they didn't have the smell, I, I wouldn't care. I honestly wouldn't care. I think I think they're coming into my yard because we have a peach tree. 
and some of the peaches are falling off. And I think they're probably eating the peaches. Yeah, for whatever reason, at the family house, they like something that's in the ground. It's probably the grubs, but we try to put the stuff down for it every, you know, every year in the spring. But uh, they still like to dig around. Not nearly as much if we don't put the stuff down, but uh, they they still will dig every now and then through the yard and kind of through some of the the areas where we have mulch around our landscaping. So you know, you can definitely tell they're there the next morning. Oh yeah, you could just smell the trail, and uh, yeah, the first one, the one that sprayed our dog, came from underneath the fence from the other neighbor's house, like the our south neighbor, not our north neighbor. So, mm-hmm. but it just yeah, it sucks, but um, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of part of the deal living here. Yeah, I mean, you know, our our backyard is like wild kingdom. Come nighttime, there's squirrels and raccoons and possums and skunks and we've got coyotes in our block and deer and yeah we got a lot of foxes around here actually i don't think we have any i've never seen a fox uh, but i've seen whole packs of coyotes run down the street i've seen coyotes too in our neighborhood but not nearly as many as foxes i'll see a coyote a few coyotes every summer but just the other day i was driving home picking up dinner. It was five o'clock, perfectly bright out still. And there was a Fox just sitting at the corner of one of the blocks. That's wild. And like for everybody listening, I literally live in the city of Chicago and, um, and there's just, it's a wild kingdom in my, my yard. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm out in Elmhurst and you know, it's, uh, known as Elm forest, obviously. And, um, it's right by, several forest preserves and several creeks. So the wild animals will obviously be around, which, you know, for the most part, they're harmless. I mean, even the coyotes, I've gone out on late walks and I saw packs of coyotes going by me. And at first I was kind of freaked out, but they just, they just kind of walked right by me. They didn't do anything. Yeah. They they usually don't. I mean, they don't, they don't want the hassle, you know, they're looking for rats or, you know, smaller rodents, maybe cats or um, squirrels or things like that. They, they don't want issues with something bigger than they are. Right, exactly. And there's plenty of squirrels for them to munch on in this neighborhood. We get a lot of them. It, it's funny. My mom doesn't get that many squirrels. She has wood ch- uh, chipmunks. I'll see chipmunks on like the prairie path or some of the parks, but I won't see chipmunks like within the residential areas. Like I don't see chipmunks in my front yard or my backyard or even down my block, but let's say I'm going on a bike ride or a walk down the prairie path and I'm going past one of the parks there. You'll see a chipmunk or two scurry around. And we don't really get them in my, my block or my neighborhood. So it's nice to see them when I go to my mom's like, Oh yeah. They usually scurry away when I see them. Yeah, they. Uh, my mom has like a uh, finished basement, so the window um, down there is at ground level, and so the cat, her cats, will just sit in the window, and the chipmunks will run by. No, and they can't, they can't be gotten by the cat because of the glass. They just mess around, and the cats, it drives them cr- uh, crazy. <laughs> yeah, they wish they could go hunting, but they're separated. <laughs> uh, all right we've got 
I, I guess I want to start with the Cubs here. Um, they've they've pretty much at this point the the dominoes have started falling. We have our first trade. Yes, and I was not surprised at all. This piece was going to be traded. I mean, with Jock Peterson, you knew he was trade bait, right? I mean, we all pretty we knew he wasn't going to be here for the long run. And even if his value wasn't necessarily high, you knew they were going to flip him at some point. I didn't think it was going to come as soon as it did, but you know, I think Atlanta wanted to bring somebody in because Ronald Acuna is out for the year. Yeah. I mean, it's not shocking that they went after him because um, he does have left-handed power. He plays a decent outfield. He's affordable. um, And he wasn't going to cost you much uh, by, by trading him. And, you know, honestly, I, I was shocked that the Cubs got the haul that they did for him. Mm -hmm. Um, Bryce ball is a guy that um, it's funny. If you look up articles prior to the season, he was a prospect that, that Atlanta was actually pretty excited about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you actually go back and look at his numbers, don't look at this year's numbers necessarily, but if you look back uh, before the pandemic, 2019, you know, when he was playing uh, back in, let's see, A ball and rookie ball. So, you know, on the lower end, right now he's in high A. Um, in rookie ball, uh, you know, he batted 324, 410, 676. And in low A, um, in 2019 as well, he had 337, 367, and 547. And that year between rookie and A, he had 17 home runs. So, you know, the kids got some pop. And if you look at this year's stats, the batting average doesn't look good, but a 353 OBP, a slugging of nearly 400, an OPS of 752, and he's got six home runs. So he's clearly swinging a power bat. And you know, I, I try to give some of these prospects the benefit of the doubt if they're struggling this year because they didn't have a season last year. So it's not surprising some of these guys have come out of the gate kind of slow, but this guy gets on base, he can hit for pop, and, you know, outside this year, he was hitting for pretty good average when he was with the Brave system. Uh, put up some really nice numbers uh, in NCAA ball uh, before he came to the big leagues or, you know, to the Atlanta Braves organization, I should say, um, with Dallas Baptist, uh, he had 325 there and hit 18 home runs, um, in 2019 with Dallas Baptist. So there's upside here. Uh, He's a little bit older. He just turned 23, but I'm kind of with you when they got that return. I said, you know, I I thought they were going to kind of get some no name prospect, but there is some upside here with this kid. The kid, the kid, you know, regardless of what his, you know, major league batting average looks like or what he looks like in AAA, he's got world-class power with the bat. Like he, he's got, he's got incredible power. So um, worst case scenario is you look, you're looking, he's like an Adam Dunn type guy. I mean, He's a guy that can hit you a lot of home runs, not necessarily get good batting average. Um, and 
to get a guy like that. I mean, and he could develop into more, but he's got major, he's got one tool that can get him to the major leagues at this point. And yeah, yeah, that's, exactly. that's uh, a big, that's a big, you know, haul for a, a guy that you were, you weren't going to bring back at the end, end of the year anyway. Right. I mean, Jack Peterson with the Cubs, he was either red hot or ice cold. And it felt like we got a little more of the ice cold than red hot. So the fact that you could flip it for that, I think that's a pretty big plus. Uh, He made his debut with the Cubs organization. I think it was yesterday. Uh, He's in South Bend right now. So he's in high A. He hit a double. So he's already off to a pretty solid start. He had a double and walked. So you hope he just kind of keeps slugging as the time goes on. And, you know, who knows? Obviously, we're not expecting to see him this year necessarily. But, you know, if he keeps going in the right direction, then, you know, maybe you'll see him sooner than later down the road. And, and honestly, point, is, we got to keep an eye on these prospects is regardless of whether or not Anthony Rizzo is signed to um, an extension is uh, he's, he's running, he's getting close to the, um, you know, they're going to get close to the end of the career of Anthony Rizzo. You got to have, you got to have a replacement in the pipeline somewhere. And um, so you, you've added him to your pipeline and you've also, uh, you know, picked up, a a, uh, a guy off waivers, you know, to add to your first baseman roster. So I, I, it's, it's prudent. It's smart. Um, regardless of whether or not you sign Rizzo and I'm not saying either, either of those two guys are, are ready to step in for Anthony Rizzo. And this means a trade I'm just saying is. Um, you know, even if you lock in Anthony Rizzo for two, three more years, I don't know if you want to keep him past that point. Yeah. I mean, I I think you're going to see the Cubs start stockpiling guys in all certain positions where they might've had that position locked up for a while. They've had their first baseman for a while. You know, they've had their third baseman for a while, So you're going to start developing more guys to either take their place or just to have depth there. And I think the Cubs, you know, this isn't necessarily going to replace Anthony Rizzo right away, but you got to have options, I guess. You got to build depth at the position. So I think that's going to be one of the big important things for the Cubs, even if you have what you think is a building block for a certain position. I think it's very important to keep building up depth at many of those positions because we've seen how important depth is. If Bryce ball even just becomes a, maybe a bench platoon type guy that could give you some power considering you only had Jack Peterson for a few months, you know, I, I think that's a really nice trade-off. I yeah. think that you're at the point where you take every prospect with a high ceiling with what it is a non-guaranteed asset that can give you something. The more those guys you have, the higher chances you'll see some success come out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I do love Bryce Ball's nickname, Ball Bunyan. Isn't it great? I love that. It is a great nickname. But yeah, he's a a big kid. And, um, uh, you know, like I said, is just having a first baseman with – 
major league ready pop in the bat. Um, you know, I, I think, I think that is insurance, you know, no matter what happens with Anthony Rizzo. Yeah. Now we're getting to that point where the farm system is going to become more interesting than the major league team. And especially if they do trade some more big names, whether it be Chris Bryant, whether it be Anthony Rizzo, whether it be Baez, whatever, we're at that point where we're going to be paying more attention to the farm system, at least some of us, uh, than we normally would before. Kind of like the days of the early Epstein uh, years when they started the rebuild. And, you know, we are starting to see more building blocks blossom within the Cubs organization. Look at what Brennan Davis has been doing. I consider him their best prospect right now. He has well, been on a tear. I don't know if you saw, but Major League Baseball updated their their uh, farm system ratings, rankings oh, uh, did the they? other day. Yeah, I think yesterday. Um, Cubs, Cubs are 16. Okay, so they're on the top. They're, you know, right around that middle part. That's better than they were before. Right, and the White Sox dropped to 29th. Really? Yep. I mean, I know most of their prospects graduated the majors, but I, I still thought there was a little more down there. So they 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 gave um, so they they ranked the farm systems as a whole, and then they uh, they they gave every player or that so they ranked the top ten players within each team, and then they gave them a rank like a grade of uh, T one, which was you know uh, potential to be an all-star type level tier two, which is a uh, MLB serviceable. And then tier three was just the bottom tier. Mm-hmm. Um, and the white Sox did not have any tier one prospects. So their rankings, uh, I, mean, I guess we can go through that when we talk white Sox. but Cubs were 16th. Their top three players were tier one. So it was one was Brennan Davis. Two was Braylon Marquez. Three was Ed Howard. Four was Christian Hernandez, who's a tier two. And then five was Miguel Amaya. Well, you hope that Christian Hernandez can grow as he can, as you know, he starts to play professional ball because I don't know if you saw, but Hernandez was added to like the top 100 prospects before he even played a professional game. So there's a lot of people very high on his talent. Right. And what's, what is cool is, uh, Two of the players that we got in the uh, the U Darvish trade are now ranked by Major League Baseball in the top ten of the Cubs organization. Yeah, I recently did for Cubby's crib um, a little profile so far on um, I think it was Preciado. I did it on. He was one of the more notable prospect names that came over in the Darvish deal. Yep, and- it's him and Owen Owen Cassie are the two that are in the top ten. Yeah, that, uh, that sounds right. Um, you know, y- you hope you hope that at least one of those guys turns out to be the real deal. Just, you know, remembering the caliber of player that you Darvish was. Now, there's a lot of notable names in the Cubs farm system. See, here's where things get interesting. 
Jed Hoyer has made it pretty clear he's not planning on a full-out long-term rebuild like they did in 2012. He flat-out said that. He said that we're not going to take the time because at the you know when they started, they didn't have the building blocks. Now he feels like they do. The Cubs have a few prospects that are borderline major leaguers. They might need a little more seasoning, but they're almost there, which includes Brennan Davis, I think, we're because I think he's going to be playing in AAA before we know it. So he is going to be getting pretty close. Um, we saw a little bit of Braylon Marquez last year. Unfortunately, he's been hurt, but um, you know he's right on the cuffs when he's healthy. Miguel Amaya is getting there. I don't love his batting stats, but I feel like he will see Major League time sooner than later. But a lot of their other more known prospects outside Davis and Marquez they're still a few years away from the majors. I mentioned Christian Hernandez. You mentioned Ed Howard. I mentioned Preciado. So there's guys that, you know, they're going to take a few years to get there, but Jed Hoyer is going to want this thing turned around probably by before the time they come up. So that's going to be interesting to see how that works because we know that Hernandez and Howard and Preciado are going to need a significant amount of work before they get to the majors. I mean, the thing is, what's nice is they the level of talent is staggered. Yes, yes. So you've got a group of guys. Well, you've got a few guys that you could possibly see at the end of this year. Um, I mean, depending on how things go, I, it wouldn't shock me to see Brennan Davis come up in uh, September. Um, but, you know, it, definitely next year, you're going to see a bunch of guys. And then there's a there's a group that are coming up probably 2024 and then there's some that are 2025 plus. So you've got, they're staggered a little bit, which is, is nice. Um, And, you know, they're adding, they're adding guys by, you know, potential trades. Right. I mean, that's the other thing too, is we haven't hit the deadline yet. So there's going to be that time where, you're going to see more changes for your farm system, likely for the better. When you trade Craig Kimbrell and maybe a few other guys, the hope for me is that they get some close to MLB ready prospects. You know, we have a number that are going to need some grooming and that's fine. That's fine. But if Jed Hoyer is serious about turning this around fairly fast, he's going to have to get a few more prospects that are closer to major league ready. I would think, I mean, honestly, in some of my halls that, you know, in those trades, my ideal situation would be, um, is if there's a bidding war and then you can get whoever, you know, wins the, the, the bidding war to throw in a sweetener, you know, you get a a close to ready prospect, but a sweetener, you know, a, a high ceiling, low level prospect. So you can start, you know, keep that uh, farm system really replenished with, with younger guys. Yeah, absolutely. And I am hoping that there is a bidding war for Craig Kimbrell, because I think a lot of teams are going to want a reliever like him. So I am hoping that you see teams like the Astros, the A's, maybe the Red Sox, maybe the Rays, you know, somebody, you know, they kind of say, Ooh, I want him. No, I want him. No, I want him. 
Ooh, I'll up you this. No, I'll up you this. Like, yes, bring all the value. Bring all of it. I mean, right now, Craig Kimbrell's a gold mine. Knock on wood. I mean, we're, uh, I don't know if you've seen any of the rumors, but they're starting to pick up, uh, you know, multiple teams interested in Chris Bryant. Yeah, we got what? Uh, the Mets. The Nationals. The Nationals. Which... Those, are the, those are the two big, but the nice thing is, is divisional opponents. You know, the Mets, the Mets, think about it. If you're the Mets, even if you're like, I don't know if I need him, the, the Nationals are not that far behind. And you add a caliber bat like a Chris Bryant, is that what puts him over the top to catch the Mets? Well, I think Steve Cohen wants to win and win right now. So they might be a bit more hungry to try to go after a guy like him. I hope, I hope we get multiple teams. It's, um, you know, uh, honestly, it's funny. I, I was listening to the radio the other day and a caller called in and was like, who on the, Cubs would the White Sox even want? I'm like, beside, and then I'm like, uh, they would definitely, they would definitely take Craig Kim. I mean, obviously, it's depend. I mean, the uh, actual trade probably doesn't happen between the Cubs and the White Sox this season. But yeah, I don't if you're saying it. who would they want, uh, they would definitely want Craig Kimbrell. Mm-hmm. Um, they would, they would definitely take either Javi Baez or Chris Bryant. I agree. Um, and I'm sure they would have taken Jock Peterson. Sure. I also think too, don't rule out maybe an Andrew Chafin. If the white Sox feel like they need another lefty reliever. Yeah. That's another one. Um, and, but like, you know, that, that hole at second base, Javi Baez steps right into it and immediately becomes gold glove level uh, second baseman. Mm-hmm. So it shores up the infield defense and gets you that power bat. And Chris Bryant steps into third. You can move you on Moncada to second and, and you add another power bat to your, to your lineup. So uh, there's, there's a lot of players. That the white Sox would love to have off the Cubs, but the, the reality is, is does a deal happen? And I don't think so because there's, there's always that added tax of of trading between the two the two clubs yeah we saw it a few years ago with jose quintana yeah it, the dylan cease was the sweetener and um he was the tax and yeah turned out to be a pretty heavy tax it was a very heavy tax and i think the white Sox definitely got the better end out of it uh i i, I don't definitely think i i know i think that I, I don't think twice about it do i think the trade was right to make at the time for the cubs Yes. Did it work out as planned? No. I, you know, I've said this before. If Jose Quintana pitched to the three, 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 five ERA that he did on the South side and he helped the Cubs win a world series then the trade was 100% worth it. 100% worth it. You don't think twice about it, but he was mediocre overall. He had a lot of good starts, but he had a lot of bad starts. And they Injuries. didn't, yes. And he didn't, they didn't win a world series with him. And now Eloy Jimenez, even though he's been hurt this year, looks like one of the premier hitters of the game. And Dylan Cease, while not spectacular yet, still has electric stuff and some a, a noticeable upside. So 
I definitely think the Cubs would honestly like to have something like that. It's it's always been my opinion that Dylan Cease is probably the bigger loss for the Cubs because Eloy Jimenez, I truly believe, was never going to be a Cub. He was always going to be trade bait. Yeah, and here's the thing is you always, when you're grading trades, is, you know, there's a lot of people that want to hindsight things. Be like, oh, that was a terrible trade. We knew at the time we were giving up a lot, but the expectation is we're getting a left-handed starter, a, a front-end left-handed starter with uh, controllable years. And that's the big thing too, is that he had that cost control contract that was so, so perfect. I mean, if you took the Quintana that pitched on the South side and you were just looking at that, not the one that pitched for the Cubs or that's pitching with the angels. If you're sitting there and you're looking at what he did on the South side, you're thinking, man, wouldn't that be a perfect fit in that rotation? And, and you know, that's why they went hard for it. And, and so at the time you're looking, you're like, okay, well, we're giving up a lot, but we're expecting a lot. And it just, they didn't get the guy that was pitching for the white Sox two weeks before they just didn't get that guy no for whatever reason and so when you look in hindsight the white Sox got exactly who they were expecting to get in Eloy Jimenez they got a better player in Dylan Cease than they were probably expecting I think that was the guy they were hoping for but not expecting and the Cubs the, the guy that they were expecting didn't show up and you know it sucks um you know, so you, you you always have to look at trades based on what happened in the moment, and and then you it's fine to look back in hindsight and be like, but you know, be honest with it. Is I, I just hate when people are like, oh my god, what were they thinking? But like, you know, I could tell you what they were thinking. I could tell you what they were thinking. Did it work out? It's always a gamble when you make a trade. There's no such thing as a a, a slam dunk trade. Because if there's a player that's a slam dunk, you're paying heavy for them. Right. I think it is interesting to compare major trades of the past few years and then major trades of 2016, 2017. Because, boy, when teams were selling, they were getting hauls in return. I mean, look at the Cubs in the middle of 2016. What did they do? They gave up a top prospect in Glaber Torres for a rental reliever in Roldis Chapman. It obviously paid off, but look what the price was. Look at what Rick Hahn did with the White Sox when he sold off Chris Sale, Jose Quintana, and Adam Eaton. He got Lucas Giolito for freaking Adam Eaton. Now you look at trades and say a lot of it is based on financials. Because we've seen these big mega deals be given out. Now, teams are saying the return assets we're trying to get are not necessarily prospects. The asset we want is not to have to pay their salary. That, that's why the Cubs traded you Darvish, was to get that salary off. That's why the Rockies traded Nolan Arenado. Look at what... Mookie Bet, look at Mookie Betts when he was traded from the Red Sox to the Dodgers. It's very interesting to compare trades then and compare them now. A few years ago, prices were high. 
especially for starting pitchers. I mean, Quintana had everything that would scream overpay to you. He had a very consistent career up to that point. He had cost control, and he was very, very durable. He never had injury issues on the south side. So it was always going to be an overpay. Always was going to be. And do we sit here talking about Glaber Torres? No, we got a World Series in 2016. It'd be the same thing if they got a World Series in 17, 18, 19, or 20 with Jose Quintana. Even if Jose Quintana wasn't that great, but let's say he had a really good postseason and they let him do a World Series, that would have been worth it right then and there. It just wasn't. The White Sox were always going to win this deal in the long run. The Cubs were looking over the next few years out of necessity, and they didn't get what they wanted. Trades are made not to fleece, but sometimes you get fleeced. That's just kind of the nature of it. And you know what? When the White Sox gave up uh, Jose Quintana, they, they, I mean, honestly, few would have asked them what they thought Quintana was going to be with the Cubs. I'm sure that they, their expectation was that he's going to be the same guy that, that he had been with, with the White Sox. And, um, but it didn't matter to them because they, they had no need for him. They were right. stripping, they were stripping everything down to the bones. And so it didn't matter to them what they were giving up. It was all exactly. about what they were getting in return. But, uh, you know, it's, it's not like they knew he was going to be a bust and they're like, <laughs> it, he could have won three straight Cy Youngs and it wouldn't have mattered to them because they're like, we, we got what we wanted. We got our, a future corner outfielder and a future, you know, middle, middle starter. Right, exactly. Um, when you think about it, you can also look back at the situation and say the Cubs had to do something or else they could have let another team do something, particularly the Brewers. Remember, 2017 was the first year the Cubs started bailing the Brewers for the Central. And if the Cubs didn't get him, then it's very likely that the Brewers could have gotten him. And another thing about the Quintana trade is this. And I, I like to I like to bring this up. Jose Quintana's overall stint as a Cub was disappointing. But if you actually look at what he did in 2017, since coming over from the White Sox through the end of the year, he was pretty good. He wasn't White Sox-esque, I don't think, but he was pretty solid. Remember his debut where he struck out like 12 or 13 guys in seven shutout innings? And he pitched a couple of nice innings in the postseason. Obviously, his last postseason start when the Cubs are eliminated wasn't good, but the game he started against the Washington Nationals was pretty solid. The game he started at Dodger Stadium, also pretty solid. So, you know, 2017, he was pretty good. But then you saw the inconsistencies in 2018 and then 2019, and then he spent most of his last year as a Cub injured. Yeah, and I just sort of want people to think about where the Cubs are right now when you go back and look at the lens of whatever trades they do make in at the trade deadline. It's 
if they trade a Chris Bryant, it's because that he was not signing an extension. And that would be the only reason you're not, you're not competing for, for the playoffs. So, and you're, he's not signing an extension. So what, what purpose does he serve? You have, you have the same chance of signing him in the off season as anybody else, whether he plays for you or not. So look at it like, all right, we're just, we're going to you know, pretend he's injured. And then you just got a haul for it. You got an insurance policy. It's that's what you're getting. Craig Kimbrell, you weren't going to bring him back next year because you're not competing. So you, we aren't going to pick up that $16 million option for him. So you're, you're trading him. And uh, so he's not an important piece to you on your team where you currently stand. So that, that's kind of what you need to look at is you hope they get a haul, but you know, you just have to be able to get best compensation. And I hope, I hope the front office has full autonomy to, to trade for best trade value as far as player capital rather than best trade to dump salary. Well, I think there's a lot of fear about that. Um, just the way they've operated the past few years. Um, you know, there are times when people say the Cubs wish they could be like the Pittsburgh Pirates, where they can just make a profit and not spend anything on baseball salaries. But at the same time, I feel like they've reached a point where they got to say, if we don't spend money at all in this big market for a team that's expectations have changed, then, you know, I I hope they realize that they may make a lot of money, but they're not going to make nearly as much money as if they actually give a shit about their team. Because look, Cubs tickets ain't cheap. The marquee network, their own network, you know, you got to rely on ratings, tickets, are obviously part of the revenue, but Marquee Network is a big one. If not as many people are going to games and not as many people are watching the games on TV, then you're not maximizing revenue. If you want to maximize revenue, you win. But on the other hand of it, with the Cubs, they get a lot of revenue no matter what. So you hope that the Ricketts at least are able to say, we can open up our pocketbooks. I mean, they should be able to say no matter what, it's a matter of will they will they realize that they got to open up their pocketbooks a little bit again and either bring in some more guys or extend a guy you want because you can't keep going forward operating like you're the Oakland A's or the Pittsburgh Pirates. You just can't. Fans now have higher expectations than ever. They're not the lovable losers anymore. They're not the, oh, we're just going to go to Wrigley, have a good time like they once were. People want to go to see a winning product. And if there's not a winning product on the field, then I don't think you're going to see the attendance or the viewership quite as high as they were, say, even 10 years ago, before the Ricketts even bought it. And when they were just bad, it was still kind of a novelty. You just go to Wrigley to hang out. I think those days in the minds of many Cubs fans are over. Will you still get attendance? Sure. Will you still get some viewers? Sure. Will you still get some money? Sure. 
but I think they would be surprised how many people say, you know what, if they're not investing money or effort into this, I'm not going to either because everything's a lot more expensive now, even compared to 10 years ago. So Theo Epstein said that the, the Cubs expect to compete year in and year out. And I know he's no longer with the team, but when was the last time you true, you truly thought the Cubs were competing for the ultimate prize of the, the world series title? When was the last time you actually truly thought they competed? Probably mid 2018. I, I would kind of throw 2020 last year into the mix, but that was more of the reason of this is a weird-ass 60-game season and anything can happen. So I almost don't really count that. I just, you know, if, if I'm looking at an actual normal circumstance and I think this team can make it to a World Series, I'd say mid-2018. Okay, I, I, I was going to say 2018 is the last time I thought that they – they legitimately, you can argue that they competed. So we went 2019, 2020, 2021, and we're not competing next year. Next year is part of the reset year. So we're looking at, we're looking at 2023 is the next time we could potentially compete. Possibly. I mean, I think, I think that's pretty reasonable to, to say. So you look at that, you go 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, that's four years of, of not putting a competing team on the field. Well, remember, you know, remember this too. They haven't won a playoff game, not a series, a playoff game in general since 2017. Yeah. So it's tough to sell us on we're competing when you're really not. No. And ownership went into this year seeing this as a look to the future year. They weren't planning on putting all their resources into a winning roster. That was made obvious by the U Darvish deal. I mean, we knew this. But the thing was, is that we were kind of caught doing the same thing we've said over the past two seasons. That we're not fully confident that this is going to be a world series team or a contending team, but there's enough talent on paper for it to be. You still had going to the season and like other seasons, you'd say, well, there's this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem, but we do have Anthony Rizzo. We do have Chris Bryant. We do have Baez. We do have Contreras. And you would kind of rack your brain over it saying, Basically, the last few years, to sum it up, is I'm not expecting, but it's possible. Like, that's the phrase that I've used the past few years. I'm not expecting them to be top-tier World Series contenders, but with the talent they do have, there is a window of possibility. And you could say the same thing going to this year, too. Even with that shaky rotation, you'd say, look, this rotation on paper isn't good, but there's room for it to be at least somewhat effective. Obviously, it's been bad, but... Going to this year, you'd say, I'm not confident in this. I'm not. But is there a window of opportunity for it to be good enough to get you somewhere? Technically, yes. Do you think that the rollout of the marquee network could have been any worse? 
Probably. I mean, the only way it could have been worse is if opening day came and they didn't have Comcast. Like, if they actually didn't have Comcast when the games were being televised. Is you look at it and it was a long time before you got the number one cable provider in the in your watch area to carry you. You had no fans in the stands for your first season. You had a shortened season for your first season with the pandemic. And you haven't had, you haven't put good teams on the field and you're going to sell off. You're looking like you're going to sell off your best players. So it, I, I, it just seems like, and it's not all, you can't put it all on, on the Cubs organization. I mean, they can't, they can't control COVID, but um, everything else just has been, just been bad. And it has been uh, an abysmal rollout that they've, they've been touting uh, about how important this was going to be. And, and they just fell flat on their face with it. Uh, you could say that about a lot of things about the Cubs. I mean, you want to talk about a fall from grace. I mean, this is just the definition of a fall from grace. And that's why you hope it can be changed. And I don't I don't want to distrust Jed Hoyer, but I also feel like he still has to earn my trust. And people could say, oh, well, look at some of the moves he's made this year. You know, they're bad. They're bad. Honestly, the last offseason, the U Darvish trade, some of the decisions made, to me, those were all Tom Ricketts, Ricketts family financial decisions. I don't think Jed Hoyer really had much of a choice. I think if you would have asked Jed Hoyer if you would have kept you Darvish or traded him, he would have either said, yes, I'd keep you Darvish, or I'd try to find a better return. I, I truly believe that that was just the Cubs saying, we need to cut back payroll. We need you to trade some of these guys by all means necessary. Yeah, and it was a tough time to trade people because, um, you know, teams are teams are f- flat on their salaries. But, um, I yeah, I, I sort of put that that one that you Darvish trade. I put that with, you know, uh, like I is the same level I put hiring, uh, Tony Larusa on Rick Hahn, where right uh, there they you know people will fall under their track record but not really in their control. Right. And um, you can look back to, you remember in 2000, the 2006, 2007 off season when the Cubs signed Alfonso Soriano. Yeah. That was kind of pushed on Jim Hendry to sign Alfonso Soriano and a bunch of other guys to increase the value of the team so they could sell at a higher value. So I think the point I'm trying to make is when you're in a situation where you are making trades for the sake of financials, this is something that goes more on ownership than on a president or GM. Now, I don't want to just say, yeah, Jed Hoyer is going to be great because frankly, I don't know what he's going to be like. The next few weeks can be very telling. If he's able to actually flip more guys for some pretty solid prospects and assets going forward, then yeah, you can say he's off to a good good start. I just, I can't help but wonder what's going to happen. How much is actually going to be traded? And when he says he has the building blocks on the team, 
what does that mean exactly? Is he saying that he is indeed going to keep two of these core members? Did you see the report yesterday saying that the Cubs are going to attempt to extend Brian to, or uh, Rizzo and Baez? Did you see that? Yeah, I did. And I, I just think those are the wrong two pieces. I mean, I guess you're, they're not going to attempt to sign Bryant to an extension because there's 0% chance that he signed an extension unless you just offer him 40 million a year for 10 years then I'm sure he's signing it, but um, I, I just, with Scott Boris as an agent, you're not signing an extension, you know, half a year before you become a f- unrestricted free agent for the first time. Right. It's, it's, but, a, it's uh, another, it's another thing I'm racking my brain about because we go into the off season and you look at the free agent tracker for this upcoming off season. And you say, you know, there's some things you can fill if you spend the money. Now, whether they spend the money or not is yet to be seen, but you can look at this and say, Hey, Baez, we might want to lock up, but what if we let him walk, got a compensation pick, and then use a lot of money to bring in somebody else, maybe someone even better? I mean, I don't want to say I just want to flat out get rid of Javier Baez, but it's he's a really tough one because when he's good, he's really good. He's, he's really good, yes. But when he's bad, he's really bad. I mean, the strikeout rate this year is insane. He's not putting the ball in play. He's got well over 100 strikeouts already. Free agents, notable free agents that are going to be UFAs this offseason. Marcus Simeon, Trevor Story, Corey Seager, Brandon Crawford, Carlos Correa, Eldridgen Simmons, Jose Iglesias, Freddie Galvis, Jordy Mercer, Alcides Escobar. But you listen to those first few names I read. Marcus Simeon, Trevor Story, Corey Seager, Brandon Crawford, Carlos Correa. Think about Carlos Correa for a sec. What if you said, you know what, let's get a comp pick. And if we really want to change the way we do things around here, let's make a statement and let's bring in someone big. Let's do something bold. Let's go after Carlos Correa. He's younger than Baez. And some trash cans. Yeah, but (laughs) yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah, you're right. You could, you could bring in a Corey Seager. (laughs) I mean, I don't think, I think he's. Dodgers are going to keep him, but uh, I, I mean, you're right. You're right. And you, you look and sometimes even if they were very similar guys, wouldn't you want to bring in somebody that just shakes things up because clearly you've underperformed the last several years. Well, and that, see, that's what I'm worried about. Look, I'm not, I'm not flat out saying the Cubs shouldn't, extend buyers. I'm not trying to just blatantly say that, but I think you got to stop and think here. If you really want to shake things up, what I'm worried about is that Jed Hoyer is just going to shake things up with the same philosophy. If, if you keep some of the core guys around, you try to build that around and you keep a similar philosophy, then you got the same problems. I think part of the, the thing is, is that if you want to shake things up, you got to change the philosophy. You got to make a statement and say, 
We don't want free swingers on this team. We want more disciplined hitters that can make contact and put the ball in play. I mean, if you're going to build around a similar philosophy, then what's the point of rebuilding? It's like you're putting different chess pieces on the same board with the same game strategy. It's just something to think about. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. It's, um, and, and one thing I also want to say about looking at the trade value you get for any trade you make from, you know, this trade, uh, trade deadline decisions, um, you sort of have to gauge those off of what other trades happen during the same time period. Because if it's, hey, you know what? Just the, the nature of the beast right now is people aren't giving up things for people. Um, you know, that's, that's the, the market. Um, but if you're seeing other teams getting big hauls for, for guys and you don't, then yeah, that looks bad on you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's the, the Cubs are going to be judged on a lot of factors, but Jed Hoyer, this, he has to know when he wakes up in the morning, looks at himself in the mirror and be like, this is, this is already going to define your career right here. And it's tough. He is in a very, very tough situation because it is very easy to say, oh, just let Baez go. Oh, just let Rizzo go. He's washed up and his back is hurting him. Much easier said to do that than done. I mean, it, look at Anthony Rizzo right now. Does he, I mean, he's not doing terribly, but do you think teams are going to give up a haul for him at this point? I don't think so. Well, here's the thing is what if you, you don't trade an Anthony Rizzo and you can't agree on a, on a deal and you tell him to test the waters and bring back whatever contract he gets and see if you match it. What if he doesn't come back to you? Says he's like, I just like this deal. I'm going to go to this team. I'm annoyed. And, and he, he has a resurgence. Even right. if it's, that even, could totally happen. It could totally happen. Even if he signs, let's say a four year, let's say four year uh, deal, 18 per year. Okay. And, and he only has one good year, but it's the first year in three bad years. What's going to happen is the Chicago fans are going to beat the hell out of, out of Jed because that they're why didn't they bring him back? And it could still be the right decision. You're like, we're not going to pay him, you know, 18 per year for four years. And then you look at the end of the deal and you're like, man, that turned out to be a terrible deal. But that first year looked good. Look at letting go of Kyle Schwarber for Jock Peterson. When that happened in the offseason, a lot of people are like, you know, yeah, I could kind of see that. Now Kyle Schwarber is thriving and people are saying, well, why the hell did the Cubs get rid of Schwarber for Jock Peterson? It's the same exact thing. That's why this is so difficult. We could be saying, Baez's K-rate is unacceptable. We need to part with him. And the next thing you know, next year, he's putting up the MVP type numbers he did in 2018 with another team. That's the problem. It's difficult. With, yeah. With not signing guys that have superstar potential. It's they could, they could come back and be the same guy. And you know what? They could, it could be a situation where if they're on your team, they're going to suck. And if they go to another team, they're going to be great because whoever's batting around them uh, could be just the better park that they like hitting in better. Um, it just could be a change of scenery. It could be whatever the case. And 
uh, it, it just, that's, that's how life goes. Right. Exactly. Now on the pitcher side of things, I think it's a bit simpler. The Cubs simply need to get better arms. I don't think there's any controversy over that. I, I mean, look at the rotation. Right now, it's basically Kyle Hendricks. Yeah, Zach Davies is hot doo-doo. Yeah, I, I think he'll be traded for a bag of balls. Yeah, if you can dump his salary, I, why wouldn't you? Right. I mean, look, at you got in the minors. They're stretching out Justin Steele. So maybe you see him come up after the trade deadline. Maybe you see more what was it? Cole Stewart, even if he's not that good, you'll probably see some other guys there. Arietta, you just need a DFA. I, I mean, what else can you do there? Unless you really just don't have anybody else and you need him to just take the ball every fifth day. I there, There's really no reason for him to be here. Zach Davies point. has pitched less than five innings nine times in his 20 starts this season. Yeah. Yeah. That's bad. You can't, you can't do that. But when he pitched against the Cubs in his career, he looked like Cy Young. Yeah. Um, and you know, uh, I, I already heard some people griping that like the Cubs, Cubs already started to trade and look, they won first two games after the all-star break. Okay. Against <sighs> one of the worst teams in baseball. And it took the a night- worst. It took a ninth inning comeback against one, and then the they couldn't even get the sweep. They they lost the third game. They had to fight tooth and nail to take two or three from a team that has like not even thirty wins. Yeah, it, it, you did not dominate that team. They're not good. Don't let anything fool you. This team is not good. They should be selling one hundred percent. Yeah, don't. I don't care what the standings look like. Jed it, Hoyer has made his decision. He's picked a lane. They are going to stick with it. I'm glad it worked out where the the month of June had an easy schedule for the Brewers and hard schedule for the Cubs because it it reinforced something that we all we all knew that the Cubs needed to be the Cubs needed to be sellers. They weren't winner. They weren't going to be winners. And it was been terrible for them to be buyers. So it is, it was, it just added the record, the standings factor to things. Yeah. I mean, that losing streak for the long run could be one of the best things that's happened to the Cubs. I, a true wake up call. I mean, could you imagine them trying to see what assets they could sell to buy right now? I, I don't even like thinking about that because there aren't enough assets in the world to get you what you truly need. You would need almost a whole new pitching rotation. All right. Not trade you Darvish. <laughs> well, well, the, the other bad thing about the Darvish trade was, is that we were coming off a year where despite a division title, the entire core sucked in 2020 Rizzo was mediocre at best. Bryant was terrible. Baez was terrible. Schwarber wasn't very good. Contreras was okay. I mean, if they were all peak value, then you could say, you know what? 
we could start selling now and thinking about the future now. Then you might be more justified in selling you Darvish. But what they basically had to do was, we got to shed salary, but not necessarily tear it down in the offseason. I mean, it just, ugh. It's so frustrating. At least with the White Sox, they had Chris Sale, Jose Quintana, Adam Eaton, all in their primes at peak value. And everyone and their mother knew they needed to tear that team down. And they were able to basically do everything within a span of what? Eight months? Yeah. More or less? Pretty much. It was it wasn't fun for White Sox fans to see their team with in prime players suck, but it was also prime time to sell and to have just that plan that has turned out very well so far. This is all over the place. They have been, the Cubs have been trying to decide what to do while being unable to extend their superstars. But I can't help but wonder if we look back on the Cubs not extending their superstars and saying, you know what? If we were able to sell and turn a new direction, maybe it was for the best that we didn't have all those guys locked up going forward because look, this, the the core of this team, like I said, they haven't won a playoff game since 2017. It's not all their fault. Those four key guys, it's really not, but still in many times, you can't can't win. If your core players aren't competing and complaining, well, they're not playing well. You just, so is it their fault that they didn't win? No, but it is their fault that they didn't play well. And if, if those four guys play well, then the team probably wins. It's there. They have a part in it. It's not solely their fault, but it is, they, they do have a big, a big part of it. And, you know, it's, I just, I wish Cubs fans were much more looking at the big picture of I'm not rooting for the individual. I'm rooting for the team because they make it hard. The Cubs fans make it harder to, to, to sell off these guys that aren't performing well. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a really annoying position to be in. You know, I more than anything at this point, I can't wait for all this to be over. We have been talking trade speculations with this core for a while. Now we've been talking about who will stay, who will go for a while now. Rumor after rumor, speculation after speculation. I just can't wait for it to be over. Oh, absolutely. It's, um, you know, it, it's it's one thing to be anxious when your team is a buyer. You're watching all the rumors. But I think that anxiety is way stronger when you're the seller because you're like, I, we just need to get a haul. We need to say see what we've got to work with going forward to to rebuild. Right. Yeah, I agree. So it's, it's tough. And, and, you know, my, I'm constantly looking and like, all right, what, what are the rumors here? What's going on? And I hope, I hope that they do sell a bunch and, and get a, a good reset for next year. I'm, I'm much more willing to lose in a new direction than lose in the same direction. 
Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. You know, if, if, if you, uh, what is the, what's the old saying is the definition of insanity is keep doing the same thing, expecting different results. And that's kind of where I am with this, this Cubs team that they keep trotting out. It, it's just not working. And, you know, if, if guys end up being the guys that you thought they were going to be with somebody else, well then, you know what, that's just life. Yeah. You got to think of the big picture, just like you said. Um, yeah, let's talk about the White Sox a little bit. Uh, they, they come out of the all-star break with a big test uh, competing against uh, the Houston Astros, who are a team that they'll probably see in the postseason. Mm-hmm. And they end up taking two out of three um, with some, some lopsided scores. <laughs> um, they got blown out that first game, seven to one. And uh, Cease and, and Aaron Bummer just really shit the bed in that game. Yeah. And the White Sox offense was just abysmal. You got three hits versus 12 strikeouts in that game. Yeah, Lance McCullers just, you know, was on it. He just, and that's, that is the scary part about the White Sox is when you, they get somebody in there motoring, you know, that offense has gotten pretty cold this year. And I know things are going to be different. Well, they, you know, you expect them to be different when you get uh, Eloy and Robert back and, you know, potentially, you know, making some moves. Um, But you, you don't like to see that especially when you've got still got Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu and uh, Yohan Moncada, you've got some good bats in your lineup that you should be, you should be, be able to do something even against really good pitchers. Yeah, I agree. And you know, you, you also consider the fact that they might buy a bat or two at the deadline. So you hope that, that could kind of change that a little bit. Um, I know Starling Marte just rejected his extension that he was offered with the Marlins. So he could be on the move. He might be a guy the White Sox might look at. We know that obviously we're seeing Eloy's rehab assignment. Uh, We kind of have a timetable there, but I haven't heard much about Robert. Have you? No, I haven't. Not, not in a bit. Um, uh, You know, you, we expect him back. And I would imagine probably August ish. We'll start to see, hear more news, but yeah, we're not hearing anything official, but you know what it was with Eloy. We didn't really hear anything. And until it was like, Oh, Hey, here he is. I feel like though, we at least got more of a solidified timetable with him with Robert. It just, it's been complete silence unless I'm missing something. I don't know. I just, I, I felt like it, I, I agree we didn't hear much with Eloy for a while, but I feel like off the bat and at certain times throughout, we did get some sort of timetable idea. I just don't think we've gotten any of that with Robert in a while now. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I still expect him back before the end of the year. You would I, just don't, I just don't know to the extent that he's going to be that helpful. Well, you hope he is. I mean... He's got all the talents in the world, but coming back from a major injury is always, you know, you never know what you're going to get exactly. Um, And then game two of that series, uh, Lucas Giolito was, was dealing. 
he needed that. I think he needed that, you know, complete games are very rare to come by these days. And he had struggled lately. And I think he needed a confidence booster and what better way to do it than against one of the best teams in baseball. Yeah. He, he looked fantastic. Um, and then you got home runs by a bunch of bunch of guys, Berger and uh, Tim Anderson and Abreu and Sheets and Collins. And Congrats to Jake Berger, by the way. That was his first career home run, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Home run number one. Really cool story for him. He seems like a great guy and the fans like him. And, you know, you don't have to be a White Sox fan to root hard, to root hard for Jake Berger. I know I am. So, you know, I was, I was happy to see that. So a big congratulations to him. The guy went through hell for a while and to see him in the big leagues and hitting his first home run, that's special. You, you treasure moments like that. It's Those are the things that help make the game great. Yeah, and then today's game was a lot closer than, you know, the other one. But uh, the White Sox did get a shutout. Carlos Rodon pitches seven innings, 10 strikeouts, no walks, one hit. Like, whew, back-to-back games are just dealing. You want to talk about a 180. Yeah, that it was, it was just great to see for the White Sox. And, you know, you get pitching performances like that, even with, even with some, some troubles and, you know, with the bats, pitching performances like this are just going to keep you in any game. And it's not like it's against a scrub team. This is against, this is against a legit world series contender. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, you saw the Astros have their way with them in the first five games of the season series, but to be able to come back and that built some confidence and say, Hey, look, we struggled with them early on, but now that we bounced back and we showed that, you know, we can beat these guys, that's got to help your confidence a little bit. Absolutely. So it's a, it's huge for the the White Sox to come out and continue the dominance. Um, in the second half, especially against a good team, uh, this, you know, they're they're They don't have competition in this division. This division is locked up. It is now competing for, uh, you know, home field advantage in the postseason and getting guys healthy and getting, you know, working through some of the, uh, the, the batting struggles that you have had. And look, I'm not here to say I suddenly love Tony La Russa, but I will say that I do have to give him some credit because this team, despite some of the drama and the stupidity early on uh, with Yermin Mercedes and the 3-0 swing and just some of the Tony Larusa isms I think it's pretty clear he's got these guys ready to play most days and that, you know, despite some of his differences in philosophy, he's clearly, clearly getting something out of these guys and they're taking something from him. I mean, they're, they're uber talented, so they might be winning in spite of him. But I think if you look at the number of injuries that this team has had and Tony Larusa being old school dinosaur, Tony Larusa, it could be very easy to think that this team wouldn't be performing where they are, but they are. So I think you got to at least give some credit there. If you honestly don't want to, I guess I understand, but I, I, I'm not a particular big fan of Tony La Russa, but I will at least say, you know what, that the team is playing pretty well under him. I just think that he's too talented to not play well. 
and that's fair. That's fair. Um, and, yeah, you I know, get it. And we we may not see the true impact of Tony Larusa until the postseason. Sure, better or worse. Better, yeah, better or worse. Um, you know, the the regular season, I think they're just too talented to. They're gonna they're gonna cruise to the postseason, but we're, we'll see what happens come postseason. And last year, last year we just saw that they, uh, you know, ran out of gas against the the Oakland A's. Um, didn't have didn't have the, you know, the pitching the starting pitching to to compete for an actual series, but they do this year. They really do. Yeah, and I mean, who would you rather have in the postseason, even if you don't particularly like him, Rick Renteria or Tony Larusa? I mean, in a postseason, you got to say, you know, Tony Larusa. Uh, for the regular season, I do. I, I mean, I'm a big Ricky Renteria fan, and you know, it's it's it gets harder and harder because, um, you know, he he didn't do what you'd hoped he would have done in with his opportunities, but you know, he, you, you could say he didn't get a fair shot with the either team. Yeah. You know, it's funny when both uh, Chicago teams were on the verge of greatness, both teams said, nah, sorry, we're going to replace you. Yeah. And the, the white Sox did a, a, a big uh, extension this, this past week, which I'm really excited about is I didn't think I thought they were going to let Lance Lynn walk and they signed him. I didn't him to think a, they were. They signed him to a two-year extension. And I think it's a very fair deal. Like, I mean, for the White Sox, that's that's great to get him for two years at uh was it 38 total? 38, yes. Guaranteed. Uh, yeah, that's I think that's a fantastic deal. That's an insanely good deal. The white the White Sox are really good with that thing with extending guys to club friendly deals. They're one of the best teams at doing it. They really are. It it works out perfectly because as we've said on the show before, Lance Lynn is older. So you're not committing to him long, long term. If he gives you another year or two of dominance and you start to see the decline in year two, well, then you're not locked up to him for that long, but you're at least guaranteed to have him around for a few years because I don't think he's necessarily going to slow down anytime soon. Yeah. Is if you get one year and, and then he has to fight tooth and nail and claw for that second year, who cares? It's really, it's really, you are, you are locking him up for next year and, and then hoping for the best for that second year. Yeah. It's, it's a win-win really. Um, But uh, going to the farm system, the white Sox, have according to MLB one of the worst farm systems, and then and then you know to be honest, it's the Cubs went through the same thing. Is when you bring all your best players up to the big club, then of, of course you're going to see a big drop off with right. You know when when you know you you have all these stud guys come off of your your books. You know it's of course that's going to have an impact. So right now they have the according to MLB the 29th best farm system. And they don't have any tier one prospects. So four of their top five are tier two. And then their last, their fifth one is a tier three. So one is Jared Kelly. Two is Yalki uh, Cespedes. 
three is Colson Montgomery, the guy they just drafted. Four is Micker Adolfo, and five is uh, Westcalf. So they, um, you know, that the, there's not a there's not a whole lot there, but they've they've brought so many guys up. The the big league club is is pretty stacked. Right. I mean, it's, it's a good problem to have when all your prospects graduate to the majors, you know, that means they're good enough to be in the majors. Uh, like you said, we saw the same thing with the Cubs. I mean, obviously theirs is a combination of guys coming up and, you know, trading guys. So, you know, you knew this was going to happen. Let me ask you something. Do you have that full list in front of you? The top 10 of uh, just the farm oh. system rankings. Um, I can get it real quick. Because I want to know, are the Rays still number one? Uh, uh, uh. Nationals are the worst. Then the White Sox. Not surprised. Which makes you think, if the Nationals want to trade for Bryant, what assets do they have to trade? Manage means you got to trade a package. Sometimes is nice because then you get multiple guys that could hit. Um, Oakland's 28. Phillies are 27. Mm-hmm, let me scroll. Blue Jays are third. Blue Jays. Did you see that home run that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hit in the All-Star game? I did. He's good. He's really good. He's uh, he's insane. Tampa is, is number one. Seattle number two. Tampa Tampa's incredible. All they do is win, then trade off, and then bring in more top prospects. And they just graduated Wander Franco to the majors. That was the number one overall prospect in baseball. That's the thing. That's what you need to do. That's like, that's, that's how you expect to win is you keep a class of guys to replace high cost free agents, trade guys, and then restock that farm system. And that's, that's the 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 winning formula, and that's what the Cubs would have loved to have done, and that's probably the goal going forward. Which you know, obviously, it it um, it makes more sense when you're in a tiny market like Tampa, and you can't give out hundred plus million dollar deals to guys. Um, you said uh, Seattle too. Yep. I would love to see Seattle just be good again. They haven't made the playoffs in two decades. They're going to be real good in a couple, in probably two years. I hope so. I really hope so. They are long overdue to be good. And no, who's number three? Toronto. Toronto right, three. Duh. Toronto three. Miami four. Uh-huh. Pittsburgh five. Hopefully Pittsburgh, for their sake, can actually build something with those guys. But knowing them, they'll probably just trade them away too. Like they're wanting to trade away Adam Frazier. I'm thinking, why? Why wouldn't you use that as a building block? And I'm like, oh yeah, because uh, Bob Nutting, the owner, really only cares about money. 
I feel so bad for, for the fans of that team. It's it's I get that they're a mid-market team or, you know, they, they, you have some sort of salary restrictions, but it's, you still should be able to win some baseball games. I mean, they don't even try. No, it's they just epic. don't. It, it is just, they show up and they keep making them as long as they make a profit. Major league baseball just won't step in. Even when they're good, they won't try. Remember 14, 15 back-to-back years, they made the postseason and they lost the wild card game at home, got shut out. Second yep. time around was against the Cubs. Yep. Look at those teams. They grew those, but did they ever try to improve them with big signings or big trades? No. Not really, no. They don't like, they're just like, to, to them, they probably think being good is a bonus. That means more tickets are being sold and that they get to play an extra game at home. So you get viewer ratings, you get more tickets sold, you get merchandise, postseason merchandise, and, and that's about it. They won't invest any more into winning. But um, that's kind of how they've been. Who's number six? Um. Arizona Diamondbacks. Well, they're probably going to get a top two pick this year. And then the Mets are seven. So there we go. Now we can get something for Chris Bryant. Yeah, there, there's your source for trade assets. And you mentioned Miami's one of the top ones. Seems like they've had a top uh, pool for a while. And you can't help but wonder... At this point, the, if you're the White Sox, you might look at Starling Marte as a legitimate trade target. Maybe, maybe not. But you could say, you know what? They got a farm system, and we've seen some of their farm guys in the majors, and I think they're pretty confident in that. Some of their veterans, Jesus Aguilar, Starling Marte, I think Corey Dickerson's on the team. What if you look into one of those guys? You know, I, I think they're going to be trying to sell and continue to up their farm system right now um, and to get even stronger because the Marlins like the Rays got to take that approach of, we just got to grow from within. We're not going to be landing big free agents. Yeah. So um, the Mets, the Mets got their second best prospect is a third baseman. Um, That'd be sweet if the Cubs could get that guy. How about, how about, um, how about this? How about we make a very creative trade and bring God into it? And we say, okay, we're going to give them Chris Bryant for Jacob deGrom. Now God's end of the deal is he has to make sure Jacob deGrom is healthy. So Cubs get a fully healthy guaranteed deGrom. They get Chris Bryant deal deal. Okay. The Cubs had screwed up somehow. Yeah, you're probably right. Cause they have no team around him. Yeah. I can dream, right? You I love dream. Jacob DeGrom. He's, I would just, I would love to have him as an ace. He's so good. Remember when we thought it, Thor was going to be the, of that, you know, young core of pitchers the guy, we thought he was going to be the guy. Yeah. And you know, then injuries happened. He could have um, been, he had the talent to be that guy. It's sad. 
remember when they had that, you know, the four young starters and, and then who was the, uh, their five starter? Uh, they had Zach Wheeler. No, no, they had, he was, it was, uh, God, the old guy that pitched until he's a hundred. Um, Bartolo, Bartolo, Bartolo Cologne. Cologne. I have a friend that looks just like Bartolo Cologne and it's really, I, I, I never stop laughing. He looks like a younger Bartolo Cologne. And <laughs> it, it makes me laugh every time. Cause white Sox it, Bartolo Cologne. Oh my God. It's like that. It's funny. Bartolo Cologne made more money than the other top four starters on, on the uh, 2015 Mets. That is nuts. But the, you know, the, the funny thing was too, is that even though he was like over 40, he was still really dang good. I know. Did he ever actually retire? Or did just people stop signing him? I think they just, he just kind of stopped getting signed. Like he's probably pitching. I bet he's pitching somewhere in some league. I, I can't see that pitching, guy. Hanging well, I think he was pitching somewhere, somewhere in Central America. Let's see. Bartolo Cologne. He does pitch in the Mexican league. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. Like that guy just doesn't want to hang up. He's 48 years old. He's kind of like uh, Yamir Yager in a way. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Yamir Yager is clearly a different level of player, but yeah, Bartolo Cologne just nonstop. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, so Bartolo Cologne and Adrian Beltre were the last two active MLB players to have played in the nineties. Wow. Yeah, he's playing in the Mexican League. I would love to just go down and watch a see a, a game in the Mexican League with Bartolo Cologne pitching. That would be so cool. That would be so, so cool. What year was he on the White Sox again? Was that like 2002? He was on the White Sox 2003. 2003. Okay, there you go. And 2009. I forget about that. Yeah. It's Indi- very easy to forget. Indi- he played for the Indians, the Expos, the White Sox, the Angels, the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Athletics, the Mets, the Braves, the Twins, and the Rangers. Like, long career, how man. amazing would it be if if the Chicago Dogs could have had Bartolo Cologne and Carlos Zambrano on the same roster? Dude, yes. Chicago yes. Dogs make that happen. And then they actually had Mike Dicka coaching like they said they were before the pandemic. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> saying, hey, Bartolo Cologne and Carlos uh, Zambrano, they're going out. The pitching change is made by Mike Ditka. <laughs> Three of- Chicago legends. <laughs> Is Ditka limps out there. He goes out there in a golf cart. Hey, Carl Sobrano says something. Dash, shut up. They're both spitting on the ground. <laughs> what am I doing here again? Uh, Do I have to take this guy out? Okay, get out of here. Get the hell out of here. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> He's got his cigar in his hand. Uh, John Lackey's the pitching coach. <laughs> he rides out with Buttercup. They're like, and, and they, they, they've got like a, you know, uh, it, you know, a local insurance company is the sponsor of this buttercup manure pickup. 
They're like one lucky fan will get to run out and pick up Buttercup's uh, doo doo. <laughs> Sponsored by Guaranteed Rate. Uh, Chicago dogs, get at us. We've got a lot of ideas. We're we're rainmakers as far as ideas go. Honestly, they should sign us to be part of their marketing team. They, we should just be, they should just like fire their marketing team and just hire us. They're going to look at like this, just list of proposals on a piece of paper. And they're just going to be like, what the flying hell is buttercup? <laughs> <laughs> Chicago dogs. We will explain buttercup to you. Promise. <laughs> Oh, John Lackey, uh, the like the village of Rosemont won't let us have a horse. Oh man, we got to go back to coconuts again. Uh, coconuts and a broomstick. <laughs> oh man. Um, I wanted to go a little bit of Blackhawks news. Is uh, we're we're right at the cusp of the uh, the expansion draft, mm-hmm. and the Blackhawks announced, I believe it was today, the the roster of guys that they protected. Yes. And it was a little, there was a little bit of shock on there. Um, and I, you know, to me, I guess the, the, the biggest name that, um, didn't get protected was Nikita, uh, Zadorov. Yeah. I just, I think the two sides were far apart on an agreement. So it's like, okay, you're getting exposed for the draft. And I think there was a source that said it's very likely that they could take him. I feel like, I feel like the Kraken are going to take either Dahan or Zadorov. Those are my two top guesses. Um, maybe a Vinny Hinnestroza. Vinny Hinnestroza too. Sure. I think those are probably the three most likely. I hope um, they don't take Hinnestroza. The the one the one thing about. Uh, Zadorov is, I just felt like the Blackhawks could get something from him in a trade. That's, mm-hmm. that's the one thing is, I, I don't know how much, but I think they could get something from him in a trade. That's why I didn't want to see him exposed. I'm glad that they are not planning to sign him to the deal he wants. I think it's a mistake. Yeah. I'm kind of at the point where I'm just like, you know what? I feel like the biggest mistake would be pay- overpaying him. So if you expose him and he gets taken in the draft, Oh, well, fine. So, so the guys that you, you, uh, protected are, these are the forwards, Taves, Kane, Debrinket, Strom, Hagel, Borgstrom, Kampf, defenseman, uh, Murphy, Stillman, Caleb Jones, who you just traded for and the goalie, Kevin Lankinen, which we all knew was going to be the goalie they protected. Right. Um, the guys that they exposed are Ryan Carpenter, Brett Connolly, Josh Dickinson, Adam Gaudet, Vinny Henestroza, Brandon Peary, John Quinville, Zach Smith, Calvin DeHaan, Anton Lindholm, Nikita Zadorov, Colin Delia, and Malcolm Subban. Um, so again, I mean, we knew they were going to take somebody. You you were able to protect a lot of guys because most most of your young players were, um, you know, by rule, they were, you couldn't be drafted or drafted in the uh, expansion draft because they have two or less years of experience. Right. You you lucked out on a lot of your younger guys. Um, So really you are minimally exposing people. I mean, if, if, 
Hinnestroza, Dahan, and Zadorov are the three guys that you're worried about losing, I think you're all right. Oh, yeah. I Excuse me. Like, the only one that I kind of say I wouldn't really want him to get drafted would be Vinny Hinnestroza. And even if Vinny Hinnestroza did get drafted, it, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Yeah, I don't think it's the end of the world. Sure, you know, because who knows what he's going to be next year. We saw some good things from him last year, but you don't know. Um, So I'm I'm not not extraordinarily worried about it, but I think it's – I would say your best – your most likely guys are Zadorov or or Hinnestros are being taken. And we have no idea what – the um you know what the uh i I guess the philosophy of the kraken is going to be we have no idea well here's the thing the players that are getting exposed in this draft if you look at the list holy cow i have a list in front of me right here that has every team who's exposing players except vegas because they're exempt um, their best players being exposed. Here are some of the names. Kevin Shattenkirk, Jeff Skinner, Nino Niederreiter, Max Domi, Mark Giordano, Ben Bishop, Jonathan Quick, Carey Price, that news just came out, P.K. Subban, Matt Duchesne, Jordan Eberly, Matt Murray, James Van Riemsdyk, Vladimir Tarasenko, who we all know wants out of St. Louis. There's Connor I mean, Sheary, Alex the, Kerfoot. The crazy part is, is, is all these guys are the big names are salary reasons. So it, with the, the cap flattened this year, it really, it really created a, a, you know, I guess a crazy situation for players to be available. I mean, yeah. Look at the goaltending that the Kraken are going to get. There's some good goaltenders that are available. Carey Price, Jonathan Quick, that mm-hmm. right off the bat. Right. So I'm guaranteeing one of those guys is Ben Bishop. And they're, Ben Bishop, yeah. You're going to have a good goalie next year. Mm-hmm. And very, I mean, if if they are very smart with with what they do, the Kraken could be another Vegas Knights where they're competitive right off the bat. Imagine if you have Carey Price as your starting goaltender and you have Vladimir Tarasenko as one of your top forwards. And then you you have, you know, a, a center like Matt Duchesne or you have a defenseman like P.K. Subban. Obviously, you look at every best player exposed and you know they're not going to get every best player because of the cap. You get that. But they have an opportunity to make a really nice collection of some dang good players. Well, the thing is, is, you know, who's to say they can't trade one of the guys that they, they take. Well, that's true too. I mean, remember the draft is coming up the, the main NHL draft is coming that right afterwards. What if they decide, you know what, we're going to take somebody. And if somebody wants this guy, we could swap them for either some young assets or some draft picks to keep building for the future. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think Carrie price is going to be their Mark Andre flurry 
where that's their I could their see centerpiece. It. Um, I could see it. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you look, they got 80, 81 and a half million dollars and they got nobody, just, you know, so they could, they could very well just stack themselves up real quick. Yeah. I mean, it's on one hand, it's amazing. On the other hand, it's kind of like, really? So we're gonna, we're not going to get one, but two expansion teams just get these sweet ass deals. Yeah, I, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch. Um, I don't is, are they televising or is it just a they just announce who they took? I don't know if I remember correctly. I thought they televised the Vegas Knights, but maybe I'm wrong on that. Um, yeah, uh, let's see. I don't see anything on this article saying it, but. I'm definitely going to be following it. It is the 2021 NHL expansion draft will be broadcast on Wednesday, July 21st at 8 PM Eastern on ESPN two. There you go. This is going to kick off ESPN's rejuvenation with hockey. I will watch it. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be real fun to watch what they do and, and see how they work things. Yeah. I I'm, I'm very intrigued. I'm very, very intrigued by this. Yeah, I, I haven't looked because I just saw some of these lists. I haven't looked at what the salary caps of some of these guys are, but I, I mean, there's some, there's some nice names, you know, uh, I, it, it's going to be fun and good. You know, I do like, I do like it to some level that they allow expansion teams to have the opportunity to be good because we've seen some bad expansion teams that just get dragged and it takes forever for them to be good. And uh, I, that's, that sucks. You know, you want, you want fans to be excited. If you be like, Oh, we have this new team, help them be good. You know, I think the NHL really boosts uh, these teams up and that's, that's good. Yeah. I I think the NHL is, trying to build as much interest in hockey as they can in new markets. Um, so I, 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 I don't really agree with Vegas being exempt from exposing in the draft at this point. Yeah, I know it was think, agreed upon, yeah, but they're just been so good. I, they should be, they should be part of the draft. Yeah, but that's neither here or there. I mean, really, at the end of the day, this expansion draft is not really going to affect the Blackhawks roster that much. Man, the the last MLB expansion was Arizona and uh, Tampa. Tampa. 98, right? 98. The Jaguars, the last... NFL expansion um, because there's obviously no, been the Texans, teams that move the Texans oh right 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 that okay. was 2001 2000 it was about 20 right. years ago. it was roughly 20 years ago okay tell me if you know this because I don't really get the story maybe I just I, I haven't really researched it why did they move the Oilers and then just bring in a new team was it kind of the 
the whole deal kind of like with the Cleveland Browns, though it didn't end up like the Cleveland Browns because they didn't inherit the history. You know, I know the Cleveland Browns was unique, but to be honest, I don't remember. I don't remember all the circumstances. Um, but uh, I mean, it was probably a stadium thing. I mean, wasn't that the case with the the Browns kind of? Um, they wanted out of municipal stadium and they wanted to get out of their lease or I mean, I, yeah, that, that I don't remember either. I was young. It's a long story. I, I, I know I have to read up on it. I just think it's weird how you move the Browns to Baltimore and then you just bring back the Browns and say, we're inheriting the history of the original Browns. It's kind of weird. It's, it's interesting. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's weird. So apparently Bud Adams, the owner of the, uh, the Oilers just wanted to be in Tennessee. Hmm. All right, then I'm Um, sure that didn't go over well with the, uh, Houston residents. Probably not. Well, I always, you know, it's, I always thought Houston was interesting as a football market, because when you think of football in Texas, what do you think of first and foremost? The Dallas, Dallas. Cowboys. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the two fan bases, everybody and their mother knows that the bigger fan base by light years is the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, Houston's a bigger city, but Dallas Dallas is a national team. Right. They are they were called America's team for the longest time. I mean, they they have been for a long time, maybe not necessarily in the past decade or so, but for a long time they were the Yankees of the NFL. They were winning championships and their fan base expanded across the entire country. And even though they're not winning championships and they're mediocre at best, the fan base is still one of the biggest fan bases in all sports. Absolutely. Absolutely. But then there's, there's Houston where they may not have the same size fan base, but I'd say they're a pretty dedicated bunch. You know, they, they, the Houston has fans, whether it's the Oilers or the Texans, they, ha- they don't struggle to fill their stadium necessarily. You know, they, they have a fan base. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, can't argue with that. Um, but uh, yeah, I looked the last NBA team to expand was Charlotte. The then Bobcats. Yes. Um, so, man, it's it's been a long time since baseball expanded. It's a long time yeah. since football expanded. I'm su- I'm kind of shocked that they haven't had an expansion in the NFL. Okay, the, where the NFL. Would ex- uh, where would you go? You had to expand the NFL. Name one city. Where would you go? Part of me says San Diego because they lost out on a team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I think they had enough fans there. I mean, I, I don't, they weren't a, it wasn't a great following, but it was, I mean, they were, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a city. It's a pretty big city. It's over a million people. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually bigger than Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, But uh, it was a stadium issue. So I, I think, you know, it's a big enough area. You can, you can, bring a team back there yeah you could go um, back people would go uh i mean 
St. Louis probably needs a team. Sure. Sure. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think, where would you put one? Well, those are two. I, I can't help but wonder. I don't know if it's the best for the NFL, but just thinking out loud, would you put a team in Oklahoma City? I don't know. I don't know if I would. I mean, it might be it might be big to draw away some of the college football fans, but a lot of the people that live there are diehard college football fans. So I and and I think there's a you know the the ones that watch NFL have become Cowboys fans. So right. it might be a tough market to break into. Right. No, I I agree. I agree. Um, I just can't think of many other places. I mean, all your other big cities, you got two in New York, you have Chicago, you have Los Angeles, you have San Francisco, you have Seattle, you have Dallas, you have Houston, you have Miami, you have Charlotte, you have Boston, you have Philadelphia, you have Pittsburgh. San Antonio, Cincinnati. See, wouldn't that be cutting into Cowboys, Texans too? I mean, it's a really big state. Um, you know, you look at how many teams California has, uh, I I think they could support it. Um, possibly Orlando, um, Portland, Oregon. I thought about Portland. I did, but I have to assume there are a lot of Seahawks fans up there. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's a, a good three hours away. I mean, so, you know, you look, it's it's like Indianapolis to Chicago. That's true. So I mean, that, it's, that is true. Uh, what about Salt Lake City? Interesting. I... Is it big enough to support an NFL team, though? They've got an an NBA team. They do. They do. Um, Maybe. Maybe. I mean, the Jazz, they have a pretty loyal fan base. You know, there there could be interest there. I'm going to throw one wild card name in there. Okay. I'm going to throw Mexico City. I'm going to throw Toronto. I could see Toronto. I could, uh, I could see Toronto. Maybe dare I say Montreal. Yep. I, I wouldn't say Vancouver because it's that's, that's Seattle. That's Seattle. That's Seattle. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I think, I think those international cities that are close enough I, it's hard, you know, you keep hearing London, London, like how that just that's does, halfway across the globe. That's just does. It's not practical, but Mexico city, that's, that's a closer fly than some of, you know, some other cities like going from LA to New York, it's, it's faster to fly to Mexico city, Toronto, True. Toronto's, you know, you could put that team in a division with, uh, you know, the, the New Yorks or the the Pittsburghs or the Clevelands or the Buffalo. Yeah. Buffalo. Like, you know, that that's a division that you could have that team and you could find, you could put the Mexico city team in with, um, with any of the Texas or Florida teams or Southern California. Uh, you could put, um, you know, Montreal probably 
you can put that in a couple of divisions. I, I think I think those are probably some ones that make sense. And you know, it starts expanding your it start it starts creating international uh, international fan base without being too crazy. I mean, I would go to Canada before I'd go to London because you have the CFL. So there's clearly some interest in football up there. And there's a rumor that the CFL and the XFL might merge. Mm, that's interesting. But, you know, Mexico, I think, would be a huge market to go into. Sure. I could see it. I could see Mexico City. Yeah. And it makes way more sense than, than you know, Europe. If you're going to do Europe, that what they should have done is, in my opinion, is do uh, like you're probably too young to remember the European Football League. Um. They had, but they should redo that and make that like a minor league system of the NFL. So you do have ties like uh, to, to the NFL. You're like, oh man, hey, like this team, this team feeds into like, we could have a team in Barcelona and Barcelona could feed into say, you know, four NFL teams or five NFL teams. Mm-hmm. And you just, it's like a farm system, you know, you, you have, or, or even just, you can guys, you could draft from not necessarily minor leagues. Like, Oh, Hey, we, we have a, we have a quarterback down in triple a it's uh, but you know, it, guys that, that didn't make the NFL roster, but were good college football players could go to Europe and play in the European league, which would compete in the off season from the NFL and open themselves up to be redrafted in the NFL or a supplemental draft. And that way it's supp- it's paid for by the NFL. It's got ties. We say, Oh man, look at that. It's, it, you know, you groom quarterbacks. You, you, you get, you solves your quarterback problem. Potentially it gives you another, another couple of years to develop quarterbacks in an NFL type system. And uh, and you know, the fans over in Europe could be like, Oh, we're watching professional football. And we, these like, all right, you know, this quarterback or this running back, were really good. Now they're going to a team in the NFL and I can watch them. I think, it, I think it makes sense. I've always wondered about how a potential farm system for the NFL could work because they're really the only league that doesn't have one. You have the practice squad. That's it. Every other league, yeah, the G League and the NBA isn't really a developmental league like it was originally marketed as, but there is at least something there. Even though if you go to the G League, your your career is kind of dead. But, um, you know, obviously baseball and hockey rely on farm systems. I feel like you could do a good job at developing some NFL talent if you had a farm system. So, you know, th- that is an interesting idea. Um I have a really, this might be a bit of a stretch for an expansion team. This might actually, it it might be too big of a stretch. I don't even know if I want to say it, but I'll say it anyway. Louisville, Kentucky. It's possible. Um, I mean, mean, it's it's still a few hours close. Cincy is close, but it's not that close. I mean, Cincy's pretty close. It is. Um, but that yeah, it does bring another market in. Um, 
Yeah. So the, uh, the world football league had teams, the Amsterdam admirals, the Barcelona dragons, the Berlin thunder, the Frankfurt galaxy, the London monarchs, That league was like from, I think, 95-ish. 91. Yeah, I, don't think, I don't think I – that 91. was before my time. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was pretty cool. It was watching football. But I think that to bring that back but have it have ties to the NFL could make sense. It's a minor sure. league. You know, if you don't want to do minor league football in off cities, um, do it in Europe. You expand the market that way. You could expand NFL – with teams in Canada and Mexico and you, you could expand through minor leagues in Europe. Cause then you don't have to worry about the time zone change. You play in the off season. Uh, it makes sense. I think it, I think it could be good. I think the NFL, that would be very smart of them. It's a good way to invest the money that they have. Now, I don't know if you're going to agree or disagree with this expansion take in general, I, for most leagues, I'm actually more in favor of contracting. I think in some leagues, there are too many teams, in my personal opinion. It's the one thing I do like about like uh, European soccer is they don't, ex- they don't contract, but the bad teams, they drop them down to a lower league. Yeah. And yeah. then they bring up the best teams from the lower league to the upper league. And then you're you get better competition. I do like that. That's kind of cool. It's I, I like that too. I like it's interesting. Um, I just don't know how you do it in in you know with professional sports in North America. Yeah, I mean you couldn't do it with baseball. You couldn't do it with the NFL. Can't really do it with basketball either. Um, so yeah, that's kind of tough. I mean, it'd probably be easiest in basketball because of the smaller rosters. Like you could put, you could have like another league. Um, and the G, I mean, could you imagine like one day seeing the Charlotte Hornets getting dropped down to the G League? <laughs> that would be funny. Um, but there's one last thing I wanted to talk about. And we are on the eve of the NFL training camp starting for the Bears. I think it starts on the 27th. Um, so we're less than two weeks away. But the deadline has come and gone to sign extensions to players that you franchise tagged. And the Bears did not come to an agreement with Allen Robinson. So from better or worse, you probably are going to see Allen Robinson play his last season with the Chicago Bears. You don't think there's any shot that they extend him in this coming off season? Uh, It I think you have to, you either franchise tag him a second time, which um, sucks. It's that creates some issues with the, with players franchising somebody for a second time. Um, and the, the money you would have to pay him because it would be a big increase from his salary this year. So you're probably paying the guy like $22 million, $23 million. Um, but uh, if, um, but you, if you're going to sign him, you're probably having to sign him as a free agent where everybody else has their, the, you know, the ability to sign him too. I, I think, I think you sort of, this was your opportunity is 
to negotiate a contract with him while you had him under contract. You're probably right. Um, I was curious to see if anything would change with the circumstances at quarterback after the draft. I think it would be easy for Allen Robinson to want out if their only plan so far was Andy Dalton and Nick Foles. You know, maybe Justin Fields would change something, but it also, you know, maybe I, they were doing something and I we don't know because it's behind closed doors. It just seems like the Bears weren't very active in trying to get that done up to that deadline. I could be wrong, but uh, I don't know how much of it is him right now or the Bears not doing it. I mean, from what I understand is he wanted $20 million a year and the Bears were offering 16. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like that's not that far apart where you can't find some common ground. Like 17 or 18. Yeah. I, I, for the Bears, it gives you the flexibility to this season so you can prorate that number um, and you keep them around for a few years. So I, I don't know. I just, for as much good as you can credit Ryan Pace for this offseason, this I think is one of the more boneheaded things. Unless you are just so sold on Daz Newsome and, you know, as, as being a number one guy, it's tough. It's tough to find a number one wide receiver. We got one and you're, you're not going to keep him. Yeah, I mean, it's it stinks. I wasn't really expecting there to be... I mean, just based on everything that's happened, I really wasn't expecting there to be a deal in place uh, by the deadline. But there was a small part of me, not going to lie, that was kind of hopeful we would wake up to a surprise and hear that he was extended. But that is not obviously the case. So you'll have him this year, but how good will it do? if you're kind of in the transition or growing year of your future quarterback, you know, that's kind of the frustrating thing about it. And you look at the the wide receiver class of the next, um, of the next uh, free agents period. And it's Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin, Devonte Adams, Will Fuller, Juju Smith Schuster, AJ green, Mike Williams. And then a bunch of lower class guys. So there's not a big, I mean, not a lot of big guys. I think it's would have behooved you had, had there been like five big names and you're like, okay, you know, there's, there's guys that they could have, uh, I guess, you know, competed with and, and, you know, to, to kind of lower the salaries, but uh, there's not, you're going to see Allen Robinson get paid. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think you know, obviously the biggest name on that is Devonte Adams that you just read, but I don't think that's going to be an option for the Bears. No, he's not going to the Bears. He's either going wherever, wherever uh, Aaron Rodgers goes, or he's going to Oakland. Yeah, seems like it. So that, that's frustrating, um, and you know, but I think we are going to see the best of Allen Robinson this season because he. He's going to want to get paid. Oh yeah. I mean, he's, he's going to play for that paycheck, no doubt. And hopefully it could help the bears win something. Um, it'd just be nice to know that we had some security with him, that he'd be around a little longer, but um, 
you know, hopefully he can at least give us one last good season, if anything. Uh, I mean, I I feel like I would hope that he feels better about the situation, at least this year going forward, because I, I sense there was a lot of frustration with him and the way things have gone, you know, the past year or so with the struggles of Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles not working and desperately trying to find a solution, bringing in an older washed up Andy Dalton. I'm sure there was a lot of frustration there. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Uh, but I think that's going to do it for this episode of Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. Um, I want to thank everybody so much for listening. Please hit subscribe, however you listen to podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, TuneIn, Google Play, Spotify, etc. cetera. Uh, follow us on social media at Swirsky Sports, facebook.com slash Swirsky Sports, SwirskySports.com, uh, alexpatsportschat.blogspot.com or facebook.com slash alexpatsportschat. Um, again, thank you guys so much for listening. Please share this podcast with your friends. That's how we grow the show. And thank you so much for listening. And until next time, bear down. Cubs win! What a lucky break! The good Lord wants the Cubs to win! We thank Dick and God for all they have provided. Cubs win! Cubs win! Cubs win! Her, you can have her, she's a Packer fan. She can't fit in my van. And she looks like Remember New Yorkers. Smoking crack is not legal on the plains. Bears 31, the negative 7. The Bears. Oh, when the Bears go bearing down. <laughs>